We are uh, in the last chapter of Acts this morning. We have uh, spent nearly, I think, five or six months uh, carefully studying the mission of the first church in the book of Acts. And as we uh, open up to that 28th chapter this morning, let me just sort of again encourage you uh, as we think about applying this chapter, as you think about applying all the, the chapters we've read together in Acts, to be prayerful about asking what mission has the Holy Spirit given you? And the best way to discover what that mission is is to see where God is before you working and preparing uh, and, and developing sort of circumstances. And we, don't, we don't break up or, or break ground in mission independent of God. God always prepares mission for his people. It's his mission. But it's important that we're listening, that we're applying that to our own personal lives and communities and relationships. So let me, let me leave you with that charge this morning to, to apply this to your life. Ask what the mission of God is for you now in this season. And if, if you'd like to share that with me or with the office or with the church more broadly, send me a note this week. Send me an email and, and we'd love uh, for you and for others to be encouraged by hearing where God is in mission through you and, and in you presently. The, the book of Acts does feel in many respects like a race, as Pete alluded to this morning. But I've noticed uh, in my own experience more recently, uh, there, there seems to be a shift in the way sort of my life, uh, what sort of race I feel like I'm running. I would contend that Six months, a year ago, many of us in modern contemporary life felt like our days were a series of sprints, right? It was racing from one thing to the next to the next, trying to keep up with everything happening all at once, right? Multitasking was the order of the day. In many, though, in many ways, though, these past several months in this new pandemic era, era that we're living through, the, the metaphor, the kind of race many of us are running seems to have switched. Life, I think, feels less like a sprint right now and more like a marathon, more like an endurance sport. We're trying, I think, many of us to, to keep our legs moving and, and driving forward toward a finish line. The only trouble is, is no one quite knows how far, how many miles are left in this race, this pandemic race course we're in the midst of. How do we endure? How do we continue to run that race to completion? If that is a kind of race we find ourselves in the midst of, we see in the book of Acts the, the earliest church running its own race. Jesus sort of outlines the course for them at the start of Acts. In, in the first chapter, in the first few verses, Jesus says, this gospel, this mission is going to go from Judea, first from Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. Right? That also sounds less like a sprint, more like a marathon journey. But through the, the 28 chapters of Acts we have, we see that race unfolding and progress being made. Right? First, there's this incredible outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost in Jerusalem. 
And then Peter and, and others begin to go out a little further. They take the gospel to Samaria and the spirit is poured out there. And then it goes to Caesarea and it's poured out on the Gentile households. And then God gets a hold of Saul who becomes Paul and this huge sort of endurance journey of Paul begins to crisscross the Roman world with the message of the gospel. I wanted to put this map up. Many of you probably have this map in the back of your Bible or something like it. But just think about, this is one person, Paul the Apostle. Look at the ground he covers in a couple decades of his life. Back and forth across what was sort of the known world in his day. He is running this incredible endurance, race, and mission. But today, as we come to the 28th chapter of Acts, it's like the finish line. The finish line, not only for Paul, but for that first generation of the church, is nearing its, its completion. There's just a, a few hundred miles left from the island of Malta, where Paul was shipwrecked last week, to the great capital of Rome. And again, that, that city of Rome marks not only the finish line for Paul's personal mission, but it marks the circuit of the gospel kind of around the known world. Right? It marks the movement of the message of Jesus from the temple courts of Jerusalem now to the royal courts of Caesar himself. But as Pete alluded to, the, the last miles to finish strong in a race is not something you can take for granted. Right, often we need added strength, added encouragement as we get to those final miles. And so here in this last chapter of Acts, I want to pull apart sort of three factors that I think help Paul and help the church get to that finish line, to complete their mission in that first generation of faith. And as we see God encouraging them and, and, and supplying them with these elements, want us to ask, what might we need to stay the course in mission, right, in the race God has given us to run presently? So please open with me to Acts. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 28. Let me pray for us. Lord, we have been called into this race by no one other than you, by the triune God the God who has a mission for his church, the God who redeems and saves and equips and empowers and goes before his people. Lord, would you supply to us today what we need to continue to be faithful, to move toward completion of your mission for us. May the words of my mouth as I preach May the convictions and meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Picking up in verse 11, this is Luke recording the, the mission coming into that home stretch. They're leaving the Isle of Malta and headed north to Rome. He says, After three months we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. 
And from there we set sail and arrived at Regium. And the next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God, and he was encouraged. Again, this is the end of a very long journey. From the time Paul set out from just Caesarea on ship with these other prisoners of the Roman guard until he arrives here is, you know, four, five, six months in passing. And I wonder what this group of convicts and sailors and an apostle thrown in for good measure how they were doing as they're nearing the end of the journey, what their emotional sort of state of being was like. Preachers like me tend to emphasize Paul's tenacity and his endurance, right, and his vision. But Paul had to be a person that also grew tired and got hungry and got impatient and became discouraged. Right? Even when you're an apostle, you don't come through shipwrecks and snake bites without a few scars along the way. And every here and there in Paul's writings, in the letters we see from Paul, he, he alludes to times where he was rather discouraged, where he was sort of at the end of his rope. Paul's vulnerable to those sorts of things. It seems, though, that as we come into this home stretch of the journey, God then goes out of his way to supply additional encouragement to Paul and his companions. And I noticed that happening in several places just in these first few verses. First, we're told that as they leave Malta, they they begin to sail northward. Now, finally, the wind is at their backs, right? The sailing is easy. And it drives them to the north at record speeds. They first come to Syracuse there on the island of Sicily, and then up to Regium, which is on the the very southern tip of the the boot of what's modern-day Italy. And then they move quickly on in a single day to uh, what what was then called Putioli, which is modern-day Naples, if you've been to Italy. And the, the fact that this was an easy journey that took just a few days must have come as a great relief to Paul. Right? There's the first sign of encouragement. There's no storms. There's no argument about what to do or where to sail. And then as they, they pull into Putioli, they disembark from the ship. They're weary from, from a long winter on Malta. They would need to find lodging in this large port city, but they would have been at the bottom of the, the availability list. Right? They have convicts. They have to house Roman guards. Nobody wants to bring Paul and his entourage into their house. But we're told that instead, God supplies an Airbnb for Paul and his Roman centurion there in the city. And it just so happens that this lodging is owned by followers of Jesus that they discover in that particular city. And that's encouragement number two to Paul. 
And I can imagine they, they, they probably spent the week sort of soaking up the rest and the hospitality and the kindness of their guests. And there would have been the temptation to linger, but Caesar will not wait, right? And so the journey must continue northward to Rome. And they set out for what would have been a several-day journey on the highway there, northward, until they get about 30 or 40 miles south of Rome. And this, I think, is a particularly incredible picture to imagine. Right here's Paul. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He might have a few of his friends still left with him. And they begin to meet this, this flood of men and women and possibly young children who have come a day or two days journey on foot to meet Paul himself, right? To, to celebrate his arrival in the Roman countryside, to welcome him and his teaching and the encouragement that he will bring to them as the, the extended Roman family of Jesus. And it says that as Paul began to see these people coming on the road toward him, Paul thanked God and he was encouraged. Right? He was given new, new courage, new strength. These brothers and sisters give to Paul what he most desperately needs, right? At this leg of the journey, he's preparing to witness and testify before Caesar. These brothers and sisters revive him. They give him confidence. They give him companionship. They walk alongside him. And I think for each of us, if we're to continue in the mission God has given us, if we're to complete it, we will need ongoing encouragement. And that comes from real human beings, real people with, with presence in our lives. So let me challenge you this morning to take a page from the Roman church. And I want you to think about who do you know that could use some encouragement today? You probably don't have to think very hard. <laughs> I, would have, I would bet that almost everyone could use some encouragement right now. What would it look like for you to go out to meet them? To go to where they are? Whether that's physically, whether that's picking up the phone, whether that's sending them a message of some way. How can you go where they are? How can you be alongside them? How can you celebrate with them? How can you cheer them toward their own finish line? How can we collectively as a church remember we're in this mission together right now? With this boost of encouragement, these friends coming alongside him. Paul makes the final miles to Rome. And we see that when he arrives there, he wastes no time in doing what he's come to do. And that is to testify to the witness, or to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus. Look with me at verses 16 and following. Luke says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, 
because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, meaning the the followers of Jesus. Verse 23, They arranged then to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And then Luke summarizes by by sharing Paul's uh, quotation of Isaiah the prophet. That some of God's own people would would hear or see the hope of Israel but refuse to receive it. While other Gentile outsiders would would hear and respond to this message. Paul, I think, must have been a person with some incredible reputation or, or presence about him. Because somehow he shows up in Rome, right? he's never been there before. And three days after he arrives there, he's not allowed to leave the space in which he is imprisoned. Somehow he manages to get all of the, the, the leadership of the Jewish community to come to him, to visit with him under house arrest. There's a, a photo here. This is uh, reported, it's long been venerated as the actual prison cell where Paul was, was kept in Rome. Whether or not this is the actual one, we don't know, but, but some space like this would have been where he was housed. And we're told that he, he calls these leaders together, and in verses 17 through 20, he makes it his mission to clarify for them why he's come to Rome. He wants to be clear on this. And he says, I haven't come before Caesar to bring charges against my own people. Right? There, there could very easily be a misperception that Paul has made the journey basically to testify against the leadership of the temple in Jerusalem and to get Caesar to, to intervene and do something there. Paul says, that is not why I'm here. Paul says, my mission and my message is decidedly not of a political variety. This isn't about some kind of squabble between me and some other people some of my own people. Paul knows that would be a gross distortion of the gospel he's been entrusted with. Instead, he says, I am here in Rome with chains on my wrists. He says, because of something we share in common with each other. Verse 20, he says, I am here because I share with you the hope given to Israel. And notice what this does with his audience. Right? It opens a door with them. 
And they respond and they say, Paul, we haven't heard anything about you, but we've heard some pretty crazy stuff about your fellow Christians, right? Everywhere people are talking against this sect. But we would like to hear more from you. What is it that animates you? What is it that, that what is this, this hope that you have staked your life on? And so we're told in verse 23, they set up a second meeting. And this time, the, the leaders of the synagogue bring their friends, right? And there, there are probably as many people as could be fit into this small apartment where Paul is jailed. And it says in verse 20, 23 that from sun up to sundown, for an entire day, Paul exposits, Paul proclaims, Paul teaches and preaches. But look at what he focuses on. It says he is about two things that day. His hope in the kingdom of God, that it has come, that it is arriving, that it is being fulfilled. And secondly, that it is being fulfilled through a person named Jesus. That is the sum total of Paul's mission. The kingdom of God being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the sum total of our mission as a church. The kingdom of God being fulfilled, realized in the person of Jesus Christ. At this moment in time, right, where we now stand as the church, we're, we're scattered, we're discouraged, it's hard to even come together in ways that I've, I've never experienced, at least in the United States, in my lifetime. But if we're, we're going to continue, if we're going to be faithful in this season, then we need not only the encouragement that Paul receives here, but we need the clarity that Paul exhibits here. He knows what his mission is. He doesn't deplete his time or energy or resources on things that are not absolutely essential to the gospel. And so let me simply say to us what I think Paul says to his, his fellow countrymen here. The church's mission is not to find who we are against. It's not to multiply our enemies or our issues. The church's mission is not to fight political battles. The church's mission, plain and simple, is to stake every last hope we have on the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. Period. Our mission is to embody this. Our mission is to be changed by the person of Jesus. Our mission is to pray as Jesus taught us, that his kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven. And some will be convinced by that message, and others will not. But what matters is that we stay clear about the mission we've been given. If we remain a church that encourages one another, if we remain a church that is clear-minded about the gospel itself, then we might pray that God would also graciously supply us a third factor, a third boost to get us to that finish line. And I see that in these last two verses of Acts. God supplies Paul with boldness. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all 
who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Last week, right at the end of the service, I was talking to Brian Chapitis out on the front steps, and he pulled me aside and he said, pay attention to those last two verses next week, Dave. He said, these are some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And he wouldn't quite tell me why. He sort of left it as a cliffhanger for me. But I suppose it's because they present this, this compelling vision of a life that is rooted in the hope, in the life of Jesus himself. We're told that for 24 months, Paul waits again. Right? He waited in Caesarea in prison for two years. He gets on a ship, he gets shipwrecked for six months. Now he gets to Rome, he waits for another two years in prison. He has to pay the rent on his own jail cell. And he is, this, is, this amazes me, he is chained at the wrist every hour of his life to another human being. Right? A Roman soldier would have kept guard over his person in that way. Paul has every reason to feel hindered. Paul has every reason to be discouraged, restless, depressed, angry, resentful. But instead, this is how Paul lives his life. Verse 30. It says, He welcomed everyone who came to see him, Jew and Gentile alike. Under these confining circumstances, what's Paul doing? He's making new friends. He's creating new community. And when people come into his presence and they sit next to Paul, and whatever poor soul is chained to Paul at the moment, they, 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 they sense this vitality. They want to know who this person is and why he has such hope. And then with the last stroke of Luke's pen, the way he wants to finish this account of Paul and the early church. He says, for those two years, his life proclaimed the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. I think as Karis said this morning, Paul ran through the cramps, <laughs> got to the end. How, how could you say this? How could Luke say this about a man who is physically chained to another human being? That he lived without hindrance. How could he say of a man who would soon testify in, in front of, face to face with Nero Caesar? That he could speak boldly about his allegiance to a king named Jesus. And to a kingdom that was not beholden to the Roman Empire. Whatever Paul has here, whatever he's laid hold of, I want that. Right? People wanted that. They came to visit him because they desired that power, that hope, that faith. If we're going to live faithfully in mission, then what would it take in this season where we have numerous reasons to feel hindered and to feel discouraged and to feel like even just being the people of God is, is difficult, to worship is difficult, to stay connected is difficult. Right? How might the hope we have 
in the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. Give us this unhindered boldness. Help us to pursue with new strength and new energy the mission we have been given. Let me pray that the Lord might apply these things to us today. Lord, I pray for those who are tired, discouraged, ready to give up, that you would bring fresh encouragement this morning. Bring people to them. Bring words to them. Bring worship to their hearts. Lord, I pray that as a collective body, you would give us clarity in this season like never before to know what the church is called to be, to advance the mission and the kingdom of God in this place, to proclaim the greatness of Jesus, the hope we have in him. And Lord, would you, would you take away those things that hinder us or help us to, to resolve to know how to live as your people in the midst of those things today? Pray these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen.